Well, it has been my commitment to this church, which I made as I began my ministry. I don't think I ever told anybody, but I committed to the Lord when I came here that I was going to teach verse by verse through the Scriptures as long as the Lord keeps me here. And I hope He keeps me here. I don't know what He has for me, but I'm telling you, I don't have any plans on going anywhere. And in the last six years, we have been traveling through God's Word together verse by verse, and it has been a wonderful trip. Um, Just a little over six years ago, we came here, and we're so happy that God brought us to this fellowship. And and it was in July of the first year that I was here uh, teaching and preaching that that I started preaching through 1 Timothy. And so here we are six years later, and we're going to start 2 Timothy. What did we do between 1 and 2 Timothy? We did a lot between 1 and 2 Timothy. And recently I was thinking, why didn't I go right from 1 Timothy to 2 Timothy? I don't know. I don't know. I know that God uh, takes me to His Word at times, and I feel strongly about where we should go next. And I know that wherever we went, I can't remember where we went after 1 Timothy, but where we went after 1 Timothy, I'd have to look it up. But I know that God was impressed on my heart that that's where we should go next. I'm just as convinced that this is where we should be next, 2 Timothy, because this is going to be a wonderful study together. 2 Timothy... And if you're using one of the pew Bibles and uh, searching around for 2 Timothy, because those pew Bibles, they cram a lot on one page. It's page number 628 if you're looking for 2 Timothy in one of those pew Bibles. This is going to be a wonderful study together because God uh, used Paul to encourage Timothy in a great way. Go with me, would you, to 2 Timothy. I'm looking forward to our trek through 2 Timothy verse by verse together, and, and I had the intent of uh, taking a bigger bite out of first Tim- or 2 Timothy this morning, but we're just going to look in just a moment, and we're just going to begin with the first two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning, but um, there are some powerful truths here that we need, and I am thankful that God brings us to the Word together and shows us His truth. 2 Timothy, uh, maybe you didn't, you've never heard this before, but 2 Timothy has been called Uh, by many, uh, Paul's last will and testament. Uh, This is the last book that Paul wrote, the last letter that he wrote that we have in God's Word, the last uh, book that God inspired him to write for the Scriptures. And uh, some think that this letter to Timothy was written just weeks, maybe just days or weeks before Paul's death. Uh, that would make that this book a very uh, helpful and interesting book into the into the thinking of Paul to think that he was just days and or weeks before his death uh, near the end of the fourth chapter he indicates that he's already been through a preliminary trial and the outcome of that trial did not look promising and so we know that he is near when uh, he was executed we aren't told in the scriptures how the apostle Paul died but scripture, uh, the, the tradition, the Christian tradition, holds that uh, Paul was actually beheaded, and many believe that to be so. His execution was very, a very clear statement uh, by those in his day that they would not tolerate the preaching of God's Word. They would not tolerate the declaration of the truths of the Gospel of Jesus Christ And his execution was a very clear statement that the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ would not be tolerated, would not be heard. And Paul was a very clear voice for the gospel. You know what the gospel is, right? 
Paul is a very clear for the gospel. If you don't know what the gospel is, let me tell you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ was crucified. This is actually good news for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. That His shed blood paid the price for our sins, a price that we could never pay. And that if we repent of our sins and turn to Christ in faith, He saves us from our sins and gives us eternal life. That's the gospel. Now you might think that the gospel is limited to the New Testament, but it is not. You will see when you read the God's Word, you will read God's Word and you will find the gospel throughout the Old and New Testament. I would challenge you to think about those simple truths of the gospel and think about how those are displayed in the Old Testament as well as the New, because they are. I'll show you one instance this morning in just a few moments. But that is the gospel. The, the God's Word is the gospel. And Paul was a, an adamant preacher of the truths of the gospel. And there were those who wanted to silence Paul. And so they had him thrown in prison and tried. And eventually, they executed him. And with his execution on the horizon, with his execution coming, and if you note in verse 16 of chapter 1, he says, he's in chains. Paul is writing to his dear friend, his companion Timothy. And the reason for his writing is mostly to encourage him. In 1 Timothy, his instruction to Timothy was mostly about the church. Mostly instructing Timothy how to deal with and how to lead the church. In 2 Timothy, it's just a little bit different. There were some personal things in 1 Timothy, but it's mostly about how Timothy was to deal with the church. In 2 Timothy, it's just reversed. It's mostly personal things about Timothy himself and about how he ought to be faithful to God and serve God and preach the gospel. And there are some things about the church. But all of 2 Timothy is going to be very practical for us because of the things that Paul had to say to Timothy in his last days. Paul wrote to Timothy especially to encourage Timothy. Especially, just as he writes in chapter 4, verse 2, to encourage him to preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul wants Timothy to be courageous. He wants him to be faithful to the Gospel. He wants him to be faithful to the proclamation of the Word. And he writes this letter to him to encourage Timothy, his dear friend. Timothy had been a companion of Paul's on his second missionary journey. And he had also been with him near the end of his first imprisonment in Rome. So, so what we have before us in 2 Timothy is this very personal letter to a, a very dear friend. Now, I want you to try, if you can, just try to put yourself, if possible, in Paul's situation. I know that you don't know what it was like for Paul. Uh, but it was a very desperate situation. It was not like being in one of the prisons in the United States today. Uh, many years ago, when I was a deputy sheriff, I worked in a, in a jail, in a county jail, for a few months as I began my experience with the sheriff's department, and I couldn't believe how nice it was. There was cable television, and there was carpeting, and there was really nice food for every meal, and there were couches and things like that. I'm thinking, boy, this is jail. And I actually got to know some people who, when the weather started getting bad and they didn't have anywhere to call home, they would get themselves thrown in jail so that they could have a place to stay. This was not Paul's situation. Quite the opposite. This was not Paul's situation. It was a very desperate situation. He is literally in chains. He's in a very dungeon-like setting. 
The food is not good. There is no cable television. There is no carpet. There are no couches. All right? This is a very desperate situation for Paul. He very likely knows what will happen to him. He probably very likely knows how he will be executed. Now, try to put yourself in Paul's shoes for just a moment. Could you imagine being just days or maybe just weeks before when you know you're going to be executed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would you be most concerned about? What would you be most concerned about? I want you to see what Paul was most concerned about. I wonder, would you be most concerned about your dearest friends in the faith that they not lose heart at your execution? Would you be concerned that those who follow Christ with you not be scared, not be disheartened, not be discouraged, not that they not be that they give up? Would you be concerned about them? That's what Paul was concerned about with Timothy as he writes him to encourage him here in 2 Timothy. I think that if you were anything like Paul, And I would trust that you would be as a follower of Christ if you were going to be executed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that you would be concerned about your Christian friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and that you would want to encourage them like Paul does. You'd likely want to communicate to them as Paul does not to give up. Don't lose heart. Keep living and preaching the gospel. Now, if you knew that you had only a few days or weeks left before your beheading, don't you think that the most important things to you would be, be very clear? <laughs> the, the most important things to you would, would come very clear to you, would be crystal clear. I don't think it would be your house and the repairs that it needs. I don't think it would be how you were going to pay your next bills. I don't think it would be anything that had anything to do with your daily living. I think you would be thinking down the road. You would be thinking about your friends who would be left when you're gone. And I think that you would want to encourage them like Paul would. If you can put yourself in Paul's shoes, I think you would think the same thing. Now that's what most uh, was most important to Paul. Encouraging Timothy to remain in the faith, to keep preaching the gospel, to preach the word, to keep your faith strong in Jesus Christ, to encourage others to be faithful. That was what was most important to Paul, encouraging his good friend Timothy to keep the faith, to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ the main thing. That was most important to Paul as he awaited his execution. The gospel of Jesus Christ was the very thing that Paul would would lose his life for. And I think he took that very seriously. I know he did by what he wrote in the New Testament. I know he took the gospel very seriously. and And this was the most important thing to him, that he encouraged others to keep on, to continue to preach the word. Now, while these words were written for Timothy's benefit, God God inspired Paul to write these words for the church. Realize that this is a letter to his dear friend Timothy, but also realize that God inspired Paul to write this, to go in God's Word to encourage the church through the centuries. So this is for us today. And so as we come to these introductory remarks in verses 1 and 2, let's see what God has for us here. I think what we find will be very practical. Now, you might be inclined, as you read God's Word, if you read the Scriptures, you come to 2 Timothy chapter 1, you might be inclined to kind of breeze through verses 1 and 2. We're not going to breeze through them today. We're just going to kind of stay put in verses 1 and 2 because there are some wonderful truths here that ought to encourage us and challenge us. First, I want you to look with me. Let's look at the first two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to see this morning how we can encourage one another in the faith, as Paul does Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, as you know, right at the beginning, you think, this is interesting, he introduces himself. You'll notice this about many of the letters that we have as books in the New Testament. Those letters begin with an introduction of the author. Now, that's not how you write a letter, is it? I don't write a letter that way. Sometimes I do, if I'm, especially if I'm sending an email to someone that I've never um, talked with before or known. I'll say, this is so-and-so. So they don't have to go to the bottom and figure out, who's sending me this piece of junk email? You know, this is important. This is so-and-so. This is why I'm writing you. And then I explain, right? But we typically don't write letters like that. Do you ever write down, sit down and write a letter to somebody and say, uh, this is Kevin Pierpont and I'm writing you today because, you know. No, we don't. We, at, we close at the end and we skip to the end of the letter to see who's writing us and then we go back to the top and read, right? But when they wrote, they introduced themselves, so that's what Paul's doing. He says, this is Paul, basically. Hey, I'm writing you, Timothy. This is Paul. But I think it's interesting that he says who he is. As by way of authority, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, again, I noted it a moment ago. This was Paul's writing to Timothy, a very personal letter, but it was also God's inspired writing to the church. And so this helps us as well. It was intended for us, helping us and teaching us, and so it's good that Paul introduced himself this way, and I'll show you why. Why does Paul call himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God? An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I want you to note one thing that he's not saying here. What he doesn't say is that, that he is an apostle by his own will. Notice that he doesn't say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, because I wanted to be one. Or, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, because I promoted myself to apostleship. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, He did not promote himself to this. Now, you might be wondering, what's an apostle? Well, an apostle, in the biblical sense of the term, is one sent by God to preach the truths of God. One sent by God to preach the gospel, the good news. Now, Paul didn't make himself an apostle. If you know Paul's story, you know that he did not make himself an apostle, right? That was not his intent in life before he was confronted by Christ certainly was not his goal to be a preacher of the gospel. That's very clear if you know Paul's story. He did not send himself to preach the gospel. God, let me make a very clear statement here because we see it in the Scriptures very clearly. God chose Paul. God chose Paul and God sent him to preach the gospel. That is very clear if you know Paul's story. He isn't Originally called Paul, is he, in the Scriptures? He is called Saul. He's introduced to us as Saul. And Saul was not a servant of Jesus Christ, was he? You remember what Saul was, right? He had been a persecutor of those who served Christ. He was a persecutor of those who were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9 actually says that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus Christ. We know, we know from the scriptures that Saul did not choose the role of an apostle. God chose Saul. God chose him and called him out and confronted him and then sent him to preach the gospel. 
Saul was chosen by God and confronted by Jesus in this, what we know as this blinding light as he was traveling to Damascus. And as a result, Saul surrendered to God's call and became a follower of Christ. And later we see him called Paul. Now it's likely he was raised with both names, but called Saul earlier in the Scriptures and then Paul later. There's this rich and encouraging theological truth here that I wanted to point to that could easily be, this could easily be a topic of a whole sermon series, but, but we're not going to make it a series. This, this is a, a very powerful truth that I want you to note here. A very encouraging and, and a special truth. Did you know, thinking about how God chose Paul, did you know that if you are a follower of Christ, it is because God chose you? And God called you out? Did you know that? God chose you and called you to be His own. You are a servant of Jesus Christ because it is God's will that you be a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus says it this way. In Jesus' own words, Jesus says it this way in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And Paul says it like this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, when he writes, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Powerful, isn't it? Paul was, Paul was called out. Paul was chosen by God to preach the gospel. And let me just remind you that all who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are chosen by God and called out to be preachers of the gospel. Now, I just probably said something you didn't want to hear. Maybe maybe I'm scaring you a little bit. Did you know that you were called out to be a preacher of the gospel? Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not suggesting that we're all called to be preachers as in preachers from pulpits, not pulpits like this necessarily, but I will challenge you that your life is a pulpit. I will challenge you that your life is a pulpit and God has chosen you and called you out to be His own. Now even those kinds of statements sometimes get you concerned because you might think, well, wait a minute, I I chose God. I, I came to God. I trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I had to choose Him. Well, yes, you did, but He chose you first. Okay, He chose you and called you to be His own, and He sends you to be a messenger of the truth. And though you may think you chose God, He chose you first. He called you and He drew you to Himself first. Before you ever thought about God, He thought about you. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all be preachers with with pulpits like this one, but I do suggest that every believer is called to be a preacher with their life. Okay? Your life is your pulpit. Each and every follower of Christ is called by God to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Now I often tell you, and maybe you remember me saying this before, but your life is going to speak for or against Christ. Your life is going to preach one way or the other. Okay? Your life is going to preach either for or against the Gospel. And if you're a child of God, God intends for your life to preach for the Gospel, for Jesus Christ. Your life should be one lived in obedience to God, a life that is shown, shown, showing love to God and love for people, 
And that life lived in love to God and love for people will speak volumes to those who know you. That is your calling as a follower of Christ, to preach the truth with your life. Now that, that will mean, too, that you have an opportunity to, to preach the truth with your lips. And that means that you will use words that God gives you, your understanding of the truths of the gospel, to point people to Christ with the gospel. And so you will be preacher with words, in a way. But your life, primarily, is how God intends to use you to gain a hearing for the gospel. Now let's note, too, that Paul, as one who is an apostle, one who is sent by God to be a a preacher, a teacher of the gospel, he is an apostle by the will of God. He is also one with authority. He writes to Timothy as one with authority. But his statement that he is an apostle by the will of God makes it clear that His authority is on the basis of the one who sent him, not on his own authority. It's on the the authority of God's will. His authority is according, he says, look at verse 1. He says, is according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what is the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus? Paul is talking about eternal life here. And that is given only to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about eternal life that is given only to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. So Paul's authority, thinking of Paul's authority, his authority is based on the fact that God called him out and made him a preacher of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and he is to be a preacher of the truth of the gospel, of God's word. And that good, that good news of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ is what gives him the authority to preach and teach for God's glory. Now, if what he says is not in agreement with the gospel, then he has no authority. Do you understand that? That if a person stands and proclaims to speak for God, but proclaims something that is contradictory to God's word, they don't have authority. They do not have authority. I don't have authority to speak to you other than what I speak to you from God's Word. If I depart from the truths of Scriptures, I hope you'll send me packing. Because you should not tolerate someone who doesn't teach you the Scriptures. There is no authority for this church. You know, every church only gets their authority through the Scriptures. A church that does not hold to the Scriptures of God's Word is not a church. Not a church in a true meaning of the sense, in a way God intends for a church to be. So Paul's authority is based on the fact that God called him out and sent him to be a preacher of the Gospel. And if he doesn't say something that's in agreement with the Gospel, he doesn't have authority. And that's true of this church and all other churches. If what we teach and proclaim isn't in agreement with the gospel, then we have no authority. If what I preach isn't in agreement with the gospel, then I have no authority to preach. Now, Timothy may have been a beloved friend, but he also needed to take Paul's instruction. You understand that? He needed to take instruction from Paul. He may have been a close companion and friend of Paul, but Timothy needed to take instruction from Paul. It's much like a father and son. You know, a father and son 
may enjoy a closeness and friendship, especially as the son ages and matures. They may enjoy a special friendship and a closeness because they are father and son. That is very unique and special. But a father is still an authority figure to the son. And a father must guide his son with authority at times. He must say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to allow you to do that because that's not appropriate. And here's what you should do. Now, as a child grows and matures, he, be, he, he gains more freedom. And that, that father tries to let go. I'm learning that myself, that it's hard to do. You try to let go and give your, your growing young adult freedom to make choices and mistakes. But still, as long as they remain in your household, you have a re- God-given responsibility to guide them in the truth and even expect them to hold to certain standards that you require of them because God has given you authority. Now, just because you have a friendship and a closeness and a special bond with your son doesn't mean you you look the other way when they neglect their responsibilities. You have to hold them to those. And so it was with Timothy in a way. Though Timothy and Paul were close and had a very strong relationship and friendship, Paul was still an authority figure for Timothy to guide him in the truth and to help and encourage him. So Timothy needed to take instruction from Paul. Paul even uses a phrase in verse 2 that points to a father-son relationship. Paul says in verse 2, look at it, to Timothy, my beloved, what does it say, child, right? Now, Timothy wasn't a child, but he was like a spiritual child to Paul. Timothy, as a companion of Paul's, was no doubt, as he was spending time with Paul, being instructed by Paul in the things of the Lord. And as a student of Paul's in the faith, Timothy was much like Paul's spiritual son, and and Paul was much like Timothy's spiritual father. And so Paul says to him in verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. It was almost like he's saying, my beloved child in Christ, my beloved child in the Lord. You know, it's the same for us in the church. God has given us leaders, those who lead us and teach us and instruct us and And those who hold to the truth of the gospel, remember the standard of truth. If you have leaders that don't lead you from the word, then they're not leaders and they shouldn't be leaders. But God ordains people to come and preach the truth and to point you to the truth and to and to challenge you to obey the truth. And you ought to obey, not the leader, but you ought to obey the truth. But that leader has authority from God to preach the truth. Now, that is a deep and heavy responsibility at times. And in many ways, we're friends, aren't we? In many ways, we're friends. We spend time together. You think about the, the very brief six years that we've been here and how much time we've spent together and many things that we've done together as a church. And, and many times I've spent time with you as individuals. And we've, we develop a close friendship. But there's some, something very special about our friendship in that, like Paul with Timothy, God is going to hold me accountable if I don't tell you the truth of the Scriptures. And there may be some times when I tell you something that is true, but yet challenges you deeply and steps on your toes some. Does that mean we're not friends? Well, it doesn't mean we're not friends. You might think it means we're not friends. But I can't allow our friendship to stand between the truth of the Gospel and what I must tell you. And so it is a very serious responsibility, one I take seriously, and I hope God keeps in my mind is a very serious responsibility. I want to I want to be friends with you. I want to love you as your pastor, as your friend, as your fellow believer. But also, it's in the church. God gives leaders to the church. 
And you ought to take what they're saying. You measure what they're saying by God's Word. Know God's Word. If they're not speaking the truth, then you need new leaders, right? But if they're speaking the truth, then you should obey. You should obey God's Word. Let me ask you, too, think about Paul's relationship with Timothy when he calls him his beloved child. He has this authority with him to guide him, to instruct him, to encourage him, to stay in the truth, to do the things that are commanded in the, in the truth of God's Word. Let me ask you, do you have a spiritual parent? Can you look over your life and think about people, or maybe a person in particular, or maybe several people who have been like a spiritual parent to you? Have you ever had a spiritual parent? Maybe you never had a spiritual parent. Well, let me ask you another question. Are you a spiritual parent to someone else? Maybe you never had a spiritual parent, but you can be a spiritual parent to someone else. Don't let someone else go without having a spiritual parent, someone to help parent them and guide them and encourage them and even help hold them accountable to the truth of God's Word. You know, that's one of the reasons God established His church. Did you realize that? That we would have relationships like a family, that there would be those who are spiritually more mature who would come along and kind of parent a Timothy. Or, I'm trying to think of a girl's name. Timothea? I don't know. Um, that we would come along in a church and then we would find Timothys and Lady Timothys, I don't know, Timotheus, I don't know, okay. And, and, and to parent them in the truth and to come alongside them and lovingly and gently, gently guide them to the truth. And when you see things in their lives that, that need correcting, to lovingly say, you know, that's not Christ-honoring what you're doing. Let me show you some truths from the Scripture that will help you see why that's not Christ-honoring. Maybe this would be something you should think about changing. There might be a time in that Timothy's life when he needs to be confronted with the truth and challenged to repent of sin and turn back to Christ. And how much the church needs us. How, how it breaks my heart when we see, and we've seen it in the few years that, we've been, that I've been with you, we've seen people drift away. Drift away from the gospel, drift away from the truth. And it is so hard to get them to come back and to repent and turn back to Christ. It's so painful. But it's necessary. And maybe you're a spiritual parent and you have an opportunity with a Timothy to say, You I'm not suggesting that Timothy was sinning, but but that's always a possibility that you would have a person in your life that you're trying to spiritually parent and guide, and they turn from Christ. And you need to confront them with the love of Christ and say, you need to repent of that sin and turn back. Come back to the fellowship. Restore this wonderful relationship that we have in the, in the church. That's the way God intends it to be in the church. He brought us together to help hold one another accountable, to, to help one another grow up and mature in Christ. So there, there ought to be some very healthy, spiritual, parent-child relationships in the church. Maybe you need a spiritual parent. Maybe you need a spiritual parent. I would encourage you. You probably have people that you watch and you think, you know, they're spiritually growing and strong. And I, you might approach them and say, would you help me and encourage me? And could we meet together for prayer and maybe talk about some things in the Scriptures that you could help me with? An older person who is more mature spiritually could, could help you in many ways. And maybe it is that, that you're an older more spiritually mature believer, and you could find someone who you could encourage and pull alongside you and let them be your spiritual child. Let's note, too, that Paul, as one who is an apostle by the will of God, is also one with authority. He has authority 
God has given him authority to guide Timothy, to point him to the truth, to help hold him to the truth. You know, if God has given you His Word, He's given you the authority of His Word. I'm not talking, I'm not saying that we come in and we wield the, the Word around like a sword and, and lop people's heads off, you know, by, by our brutality. But if God has given you the Word, He's given you an understanding of the Word, He's given you authority to speak the truth to those who need to hear the truth and be challenged to live and obey the truth. Now, there are many ways that we might come along someone, beside someone and be a, to be a Paul to them, a spiritual father to them, a spiritual mom to them. There are many ways that that can happen. There's one way that I was thinking about this week. We're going to, I announced it earlier, we're going to this men's meeting in Flint and, and for several years, I have intentionally taken my young sons. It's called a men modeling the master. Well, you know, I've thought many years ago that I'm going to take my teenage boys because, you no, know, they're not men yet, but they will be soon, and I want them to know how to be a man. I want them to know how to be a Christian man, how to be a godly man. And how are they going to know that if they don't, they might, they see me, but I'm a really poor example sometimes, you know, and I want them to see other believers who are strong, godly examples. And so I'm going to take them to the men's meeting. A few years ago, I started going to a men's retreat for a weekend at, um, the camp over at Lake Ann. And, you know, I'm going to take my teenage son. I don't care if he's not a man. I'm going to pay his way and he'll be, he'll behave. I want him to be around Christian men so, so he can see what it is to be a Christian man. And not, not just me, but from another perspective. And, and so I've really enjoyed taking my boys with me for things like that. And, and I encourage that other men do that. Take their, take their sons with them to men's meetings and be around other men. Go do things with other men that are godly men to help help your son see what it is to be a godly man from another perspective. I hope you're a godly man teaching your children. But that's one way I was thinking about taking our sons with us, gentlemen, taking our daughters with us, ladies, when we do things that, that would encourage them spiritually to get them along beside other ladies and other men who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. The, and this is really a biblical thing. The older, more mature spiritually women leading the younger women. The older, more mature spiritually men leading the younger men. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way God designed the church. Let me encourage you. Maybe you're a, an older, more mature spiritually. And when I say more mature, I mean spiritually Christian. I want to encourage you to take, take an active role in someone's life, encouraging them, helping them grow in their faith. Look for a younger believer who needs encouragement. Come alongside them. Find ways to encourage them in the truth. This kind of thing is necessary for our spiritual strength as a church. This kind of thing does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen by mistake. It must be intentional. We, we've got to open our eyes to the opportunities that God has given us to encourage the spiritual growth of young Timothys or young Timotheas. You know, right? Take advantage of the opportunities God has given us to shepherd people, to be a spiritual parent to those who need the encouragement, need the direction. You know, that's a, I pointed to it a moment ago. That, that's a natural thing for a father and a mother with children. That is a God-given responsibility to, to spiritually parent those children. But there are some of us who don't have children in our homes anymore, right? We don't have children at home anymore, but you could still spiritually parent a, a, a younger believer. They could be your spiritual child in the Lord. You could do a great deal of good for them, encouraging them. I, I challenge you to think about that. Pray about that. Pray about how God might use you. You folks who, who don't have children at home anymore, think about how God might use you to influence someone for Christ. And be a spiritual parent to them. 
Think with me about what will be the outcome of this. I want you to see it. Looking at verse 2, think about what will be the outcome of this when we help parent someone in the faith or when we are led along in the faith by a spiritual parent. In verse 2, Paul points Timothy to what he says is the grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I started digging through the Word this week, and that's why we're going to come back to this word peace tonight and kind of do a little word study on peace because peace is something that we find so elusive and so something we often connect to our external circumstances, but I want you to see another perspective, the only perspective, and that's the biblical perspective, and we're going to come back to this idea of peace tonight. But Timothy is pointed by Paul to the grace and mercy and peace that comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord which is a reminder to us that grace, the grace of God, think about the grace of God and how deep His grace is to show us His grace. Well, we don't deserve His grace and mercy. Think about the depths of His mercy. That grace and mercy and the peace is only possible through a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You might want to experience the grace and mercy and peace of God, but you're only going to experience it through a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You will only see the grace and mercy of God and you will only experience His peace when you surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord, not just your Savior. There's a difference. You know, it's important that you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord. What does it mean that Jesus Christ should be your Lord? Well, there's there's a very helpful passage in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. And this, I noted earlier, I was going to tell you about a, a point in the, in the Old Testament that points to the Gospel. This is a very clear presentation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament when Isaiah writes, Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now what is that if that's not the grace of God? God abundantly pardons those who forsake their ways, meaning forsake their sin. And for Jesus Christ to be your Lord, because I challenge you, you you ought not... Merely have Jesus Christ as Savior. Savior, Jesus Christ as Savior is very important, but Lord is just as important. For Jesus Christ to be your Lord means that you not only trust in Him for forgiveness of sins and salvation to eternal life, but it also means that you forsake your sin, that you want to be done with them, that you want to turn from your sin. Just as Isaiah says, let the wicked forsake his way. To make Jesus Christ your Lord means you say to God, I want to be done with sin. I want to obey You. You're my Master. You're my Lord. I want to be obedient to You and You alone. Isaiah says, let the wicked forsake his ways or forsake his sin. Now where we find life most cumbersome and burdensome and difficult is when we try to deal with the ups and downs that we all experience in life in our own strength. And we tend to turn from forsaking our sins instead of turning to forsaking our sins. And we want to deal with 
the burdens of life and the difficulties and the challenges in our own ways because we don't want God's intervention in our sin. But God intervenes in our sin. And He says, I want to be your Savior and Lord. I'm going to send Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. He will save you from your sins, but you should commit yourself to Him and forsaking your sin in obedience to Jesus Christ. But where we find life most difficult is when we try to deal with the ups and downs and difficulties in our own strength because we haven't made Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't bring ourselves to completely obey Him in everything. Yes, God wants your trust for forgiveness of sin and eternal life, but He also wants your trust that He is in control of right now. You see, if Jesus Christ isn't your Lord, you're going to find yourself failing to trust Him for the here and now. How many of us have come to Jesus Christ and said, I I believe in You, Jesus Christ. Save me from from my sin. I want to live eternally with You in glory. And we trust Jesus Christ to save us from our sins so that we can live with Him in eternity and have eternal life. And that's wonderful. That's beyond description to think about being able to worship God in person. But we often fail to trust Him for the here and now. We trust Him for eternity, but we struggle to trust Him right now, don't we? And what God wants us to do is come to Him and say, yes, You are my Savior for eternity, but Your Lord today. I want to be Your follower today. I want to trust You for today. We need to trust Him in everything. And where we struggle is when we fail to trust Him for today in the challenges that we face today. We fail to trust Him by being obedient. Things that we know that we should do. And when we do that, when we fail to trust Him, when we fail to make Him Lord, we will not have His peace. We will not have His peace. We may experience His grace and mercy and salvation, but we will not have His peace if we refuse to make Him Lord. Allow Him to be Lord. You see, sometimes we put our trust in God And we trust Him for eternity, but we don't trust Him for today. And we must trust Him for today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. You know, and and those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will have peace if they allow Him to be Lord. He is Lord. You just need to allow Him to be Lord because you can, you can quench the Spirit and turn the Lord away and say, I'm not going to obey. I thank you for salvation, but I don't want to obey. Well, I have a, problem with that. And I think the Gospel does too. Because if you don't come to a point where you, you repent and forsake your sin, I have to wonder whether you really are repentant enough to be saved. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? But the person who says, no, I don't, I don't care about the commands. I don't, want, I don't want to be obedient. I just want to be saved. I, I have to wonder whether you can really repent enough to be saved. Whether you really truly mean you want to be forgiven of your sins. You know, where we fail to enjoy the peace of God is when we try to deal with these difficulties in our own strength and we deal with life in our own ways and our own wisdom and we refuse to humble ourselves before the Lord. The Lord. And we refuse to trust. And we refuse to be obedient. We want the benefits of salvation, eternal life, but and we want Him to bless us with material things that we know we need, but, but we fail to, to see that He's in control of the here and now. And we need to trust Him with those things and be obedient because His ways are far better than our ways.
There's so much we can learn from what, what might appear to be a simple introduction from Paul to Timothy, but this is Paul's last letter. And this is a very personal letter in many ways, and in it we find what was most important to Paul. And what was most important to Paul was that he encouraged Timothy to remain strong in the faith. Don't forget these very simple, sometimes these seem like simple truths to us that the Apostle is given authority to speak the truth of God's Word. And there should be those who follow that Word as it's preached. And Timothy needed to to hear what Paul was going to say to him and then practice the truths that Paul was encouraging him and challenging him to obey. What was most important to Paul was that he encouraged Timothy to remain faithful to the Gospel, to keep preaching the truth of the Gospel, to never give up, no matter what happened to Paul. That Timothy remained strong in his walk with the Lord, strong in his his faith and obedient to the task at hand in, in preaching the living, powerful Word of God. And one of the challenges to us today is this. I, I challenge you with this this morning, and I want to encourage you to think very seriously about this. How will we remain faithful to the Lord in the days ahead? One of the ways I think we ought to be faithful to the Lord is in encouraging one another, as Paul does Timothy. One of the challenges to us today is this. How will you allow God to use you to encourage someone this week? Because it's easy to say, well, yeah, you know, I want to be an encouragement to others, and I want to be a, a Paul to others and help a Timothy, and I want to encourage people in Christ's likeness and, and the faithfulness to God, and then we walk out the doors and we forget about that desire. <laughs> How will you fulfill God's role for you to encourage someone this week? Some of you need encouragement. Some of you need encouragement. Some of you can encourage. Some of you should do both, you know, take encouragement and encourage. But I'm asking God on your behalf today to to challenge you to think about how you can encourage someone this week. Maybe it's to sit down and and write them a letter. When was the last time you did that? If you're like me and you have email, you don't write too many letters anymore. That's too bad, isn't it? Because how powerful it would be for us to be able to sit down and write someone with our own hand and encourage them with a few words of spiritual encouragement. I'm talking about... I'm not talking about flowery speech. It doesn't have to be deep theological truths, but speak from the heart about how you feel about someone and and the hopes that you have for their spiritual lives and and, and you wish to encourage them and pray for them. You could write them a letter. You could spend some time with them. You might be able to provide for a, a, a need that they have that you know about. You encourage them in that way. That's one of the challenges for us today, isn't it? As Paul writes this last letter to Timothy, he's concerned about Timothy. He, he wants Timothy to come and visit him. He wants, he wants Timothy to bring books. We're going to see later in 2 Timothy. He wants him to bring his book and his coat. He's cold. And he has some very serious physical issues going on because he's in this dungeon. He's in this prison. It's not pretty. It's not, it's not a picture of comfort at all by any stretch. And Paul doesn't complain. He's not writing a letter of complaint to Timothy. He's writing a letter of encouragement. Now, we could sit and, and look at our lives and probably list of thing, things that, that might discourage us, you know, things that might be challenges and hardships. But I want to challenge you and encourage you to encourage someone else this week. Don't write them a letter about 
how bad things are for you, write them a letter about how encouraged you want them to be and how spiritually strong you want them to be. Think about how God is going to use you maybe in some other way. And let God use you to encourage someone else to remain faithful, to be spiritually strong, to continue to live the gospel of Jesus Christ with their life and with their lips. Let's encourage one another. That's why we exist as a church. Listen, if you don't encourage one another, no one else will do it. Okay? That's what the church is for. We are here to encourage one another so that when we leave this building, this this fellowship that we enjoy, we can go out into a world that's sometimes very hostile to Christianity and continue to live the truth and speak the truth that they desperately need to hear. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your encouragement. Father, we thank You for Your Word, how gracious You are to give us Your Word here in Second Timothy. And Lord, I pray that You would open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to the wonderful truths that You have in Your Word. Especially here as we work through this wonderful letter of Paul's to his dear friend Timothy in the days and weeks ahead. Lord, I pray, help us to yield ourselves to Your truth. Help us to enjoy the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ between our brothers and sisters in Christ, but Lord, most of all, help us to bow before You as Lord. Help us to surrender ourselves before You. Help us to forsake the sin that Satan would love for us to drown in. Lord, help us to turn from it and turn to You and continue to trust You for today's strength, for today's wisdom. Father, we do thank You for the Word and the wisdom that it holds. And I pray that You would help us to learn to be a blessing to others and encouragement to others in the things of the Lord, that we might be spiritually strong to continue preaching and teaching and living the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.